I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Happy New Year, everyone. It's the Playing Footsie podcast, and we've got Steve D, Steve W, and me, Briscoe, here today to talk about our predictions for 2022, uh, what we got right and what we got wrong. Um, we'll talk about that later. And we're going to make some equally as stupid predictions for 2023 as well. Um, uh, first, though, guys, I want to... We usually start with, how's your week been? But today, I want to ask you how you how your year's been and if you've had any big wins or any big losses in the year from a personal and you know much larger level oh hi paul hi steve happy new year um welcome to episode 100 everybody i guess that means we get to walk around with our bat in the air right steve at this sort of point because we've made it up to 100 the cricket reference paul Mm. Uh, that's that's why i said steve really but um Uh, it's been a decent year in a number of ways, actually. I guess when I think about sort of how I set out to to approach this year, I wanted to kind of achieve a couple of things or a few things. And there's one that I think I've achieved pretty well, and one that I think I've not achieved very well, to be honest. The one I've achieved pretty well is I've managed to save quite aggressively. I'm pleased with the amount that I've managed to put into investments and stocks and market and emergency fund and various other things like that. So my savings been good. I count that as a win for the year. The loss side is I also wanted to be a bit more patient with my investing and not trade around so much or not sell things as much, I guess. Not quite trading, but I'd been a bit impatient with stuff, not held it for very long and then waited and watched while my thesis nicely played out after I'd abandoned it. And I haven't really managed that, if I'm honest. I'm still doing much, much, much too much buying and selling, especially selling, to be honest, because buying happens when it happens. You get dividends every so often. And I'm not going to not buy them because that would be additional buys or something. So yeah, a win in terms of saving uh, and the amount I've managed to save, pleased with that. Probably less impressed by my patience that I haven't really developed so well this year. Because if, if, if there's anything that I could um, say about you guys and your investing, I, I and I, there's plenty, I've got plenty of flaws myself, but um, I would say that you guys, to me, tend to sell a little bit too early. You make some amazing picks, and then you just let them go a little bit early. And uh, I wondered how you felt about these long-term holdings and uh, and things. And and also, on the other hand, uh, someone, I can't remember, who I, was, I think it was Seth Carmen I was listening to uh, talk the, the other day, uh, talking about how he developed the thesis on when he was going to sell before he bought it so he would he would decide the uh he would decide the conditions of what he would sell before he bought it that's um hit very hard with me because a lot of my stocks are i i bought uh, with the plan to never sell i think that's that's what i i came up with but it'd be interesting now to think that think ahead and think of the reasons why i would ever sell a stock and uh I'm going to bring that into my thesis a little bit more. 
I can tell you why I've been selling too much for what it's worth, and it's always been the same reason. It's always been, and I've been worse in bear markets than I am in bull markets, uh, actually, which is maybe the wrong way around. I'm sort of, you're not supposed to sell when things are going down, but it's always been the case that I've been distracted by the bigger, shinier bargain over here. And thought, mm. I want to buy this thing. I don't have loose cash available. Something's got to go. That thing's up fairly well. What's that going to do? Is it a better thing than that thing? No, mm. I'm going to buy this other shinier bargain over here, which happens much more when everything's going down, right? So yeah. I suddenly think, that's a buy now. That is a thing I'm having. Goodbye, other thing. Uh, and uh, that happens to me less in bull markets. I don't think, oh, look at that thing go. I've got to get me a part of that. I tend to think I've missed that more than uh, anything else. Well, there's, there's stocks in my portfolio that I buy for a reason. So when, when we were in the bear market, I stumbled across Halion and I stumbled across their bla their brands and I thought, they're blands. There you go. There's an interesting, there's a, there's an interesting phrase. Um, and there was a, there was a lot to like about that company. I thought, Hey, look, I could, I could put 1%, 2% of my portfolio into this company. I think it's going to be a little steady eddy. It'll probably pay me uh, a couple of percent dividend when it starts paying it. Might do some buybacks. It's got to get rid of a little bit of debt. So, you know, I'm expecting a sort of 6 to 8% return from that. And and it was up 15% within um, a month or two. And you think to yourself, well, realistically, look, in my head, that was two years return. So at that point, I will realise that profit, even if it continues to go up from that point and, you know, and it was just a, a resetting that to me is, you know, thesis blown, really. That's not why I, I wanted to hold the stock. And the same thing, I put some money into BlackRock at the beginning of this year because it had fallen a long way. I was expecting a 10% return out of BlackRock and a couple of percent in dividend. I was up 20% on BlackRock, uh, but I was lo uh, losing 5% to FX. And I took the profit on that because that is a year's return in a couple of months. So mm. the reason I would do that is because I do have better ideas than BlackRock and I do have better ideas than Halion. And they're in a significantly worse position, for instance. Uh, Steve hears it regularly and he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm in his DMs and I say, Steve, I want to sell a Derby. And he's saying, well, why do you want to sell a Derby? Well, the reason I want to sell a Derby is because Disney, Google and Amazon are a lot cheaper then yeah. you know then 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 they have been and i could make a serious wedge and i don't want to sell adobe because i think it's necessarily a bad company i'm up about 10 percent on adobe from its from its lows but i could realize that and i could i could make big chunks in these you know these best ideas my, my i was showing steve the other day my i think i've trebled my disney position i've doubled my google position i've doubled my amazon position uh, I've added to ASML this year. Uh, I actually got to average down on ASML, Paul, which might be one an interesting fact for you at one point. I was mm. just for one day, I was I was red and I averaged down. I averaged down <laughs> by like 0.05% or something. But um, that's I've been the averaging reason for me. But, but I, I misunderstood up. this question when you pitched it, Paul. So I've got best performer and worst performer for you. So, <laughs> okay. so here it goes. Uh, I've got Elseg and Southern Copper. They're both up 1.5% on the year. So for me, that is an absolute stinking win. Uh, nice. I also picked Axum Therapeutics in my capital incinerator pie, and that's up 150%. So, nice. uh, and I have held on to that one as well, despite it being, uh, it's actually an 8% position in that pie, and it's only supposed to be like two or three. Uh, my worst performer uh, has been Spotify, and I've got all of this because I bought it in January. It's down 67% year to date. I have bought it a lot more over the over the period. I only sort of started a position in in January at a couple of hundred dollars. It's now 70, uh, but I have been buying that on the way down. So they're my best and worst moments. I guess if I was going to answer the question as it was intended, uh, I did manage to hold my ISA deposit for the vast majority of the year. I've only got a thousand quid left, but I have been putting it in monthly as I as I said I would. So I'm, and and mm. nearly did it. 
that's that's good that's discipline that's great it's uh really good my uh my win for the year would be that i'm now a year uh free from my job and uh we haven't starved so i'm i'm doing pretty well um it's it's a, it's a good start i'm still not counting chickens uh there will be a video out about it one day whenever i get the time to start editing again um but um yeah that's been pretty good to 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 break free of the shackles of the 9 to 5 and work 24/7 instead <laughs> <clears throat> My biggest loss it is a financial one, and I think it's been well covered. I think it's well covered on the Discord as well, is that I sold a lot of my stock for absolutely no reason in the end, and it's really annoying. Uh, so I'm now currently trying to find 10... I've got £10,000. I think I'm going to make a video of it where I've got £10,000, and I'm just going to slam that all into uh, <laughs> certain stocks on the market. Uh, we'll do that one day, because I think that's going to be really satisfying for me to do. It's sitting there in... Uh, uh at that and i'm going to open up my pie i'm just going to lump lump in ten thousand and see where it goes um which would be quite interesting lucky for you paul you've got six months worth of stonks for paul to go through and get all your new mm. stocks from yeah true uh no i've got i've got a good few on the list uh, i've already started one brookfield renewable that's already started that needs another three grand to go straight into it mm. so um that's that's already started uh and there are a couple of others um a couple of REITs that I want to get involved in. I'm, I'm going to go against the grain, I think, uh, where people think that REITs aren't going to do very well over the next couple of uh, years. Um, I'm going to go against the grain and get involved in the REITs. Uh, not sure specifically which ones yet, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, and uh, and yeah, in general, we'll just see. We'll just see what's what's open there on the market. Right. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, last year. I think it was about this time last year, we made our predictions for 2022. Um, I, I, I'm going to give a bit away. Uh, it's disastrous, I think, uh, to, to say, to say the least. But I don't think, I don't think we took it too seriously. I think we're going to take it a bit more seriously this year and, uh, try and figure out if there's, <laughs> try and figure out if there's, uh, uh, we, we can do something better. But we're going to go through and review our predictions for last year and to show you what we got wrong and, and if we got anything right and then we're going to at the end take you through our individual predictions for next year so i think i'm the first one here i'm the one who's going to go first here and i'm i, I listened to this podcast the other day to see what i predicted because i completely forgot and i'm dreading this now go go ahead <laughs> So I've got Paul's uh, predictions here written down. He made three predictions, one of which is correct, which is better than either me or Steve. Unfortunately, the one that's correct is not a stock market prediction. So it was on this show about a year ago, or the equivalent of the show a year ago. It was actually a New Year's Eve show, I think, rather than a New Year's Day show, because that's when the when the Sundays were. Uh, he pointed out I had announced that I was about to become a dad, and he correctly predicted that I would hate my life as a result. Uh, so <laughs> one for Paul uh, along Woo! the way. Uh, you will see a general theme coming through from me with everybody's predictions that I will be looking for positive because they're mostly wrong. Uh, all of us are mostly wrong, <laughs> Paul's included. But I think they're, I'm going to look for positives or things that I can find. So, uh, yeah, well done, Paul. That's one more than probably the rest of us. But uh, Paul's sort of stock market predictions, one of the things he said was, quote, unquote, some EV stocks will double. Uh, and he had Tesla to uh, split adjusted. He said, if it doesn't split, $1,600. Uh, his exact words at the end of it were, I'm going to die on that sword, aren't I? 
Um, <laughs> I, I feel uh, it. I feel it thrust <laughs> through my heart right now. I feel that thrust through my heart. Well, the stock is currently at one hundred and twenty-two dollars, but it did split this year. It split three for one. So Paul's looking for it to roughly double, I think, from the start of the year, and it's just under yeah. halved. Uh, at the time, you mentioned stuff like factories coming online in Germany and China and so on and so forth. And actually, what we saw was a kind of the other uh, Elon Musk, the Elon Musk that gets distracted by doing things like, well, trying to buy Twitter and then trying not to buy Twitter and then, in fact, buying Twitter and then using Twitter and mostly Twitter, to be honest. Um, but you did say along the way some EV stocks will double. And I found this quite difficult to verify because I couldn't find any, but I don't know all the EV stocks. So maybe there are some that doubled. You could be <laughs> right about this. I saw uh, Rivian down 81%, Arkimoto down 97%, and Canoe down 86%, and then I got bored of looking at them. So, so maybe some have doubled. You could, be, you could be right about that. I can't definitely say you were wrong on that prediction, Paul. So uh, I think, um, I think how, how am I going to defend this? It, 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 sounds, it sounds stupid. I'm going to say it was poorly thought out. I thought, uh, I think, I think at the time... <laughs> how am I going to defend it? I'm an idiot. <laughs> I think that's how I defend everything that I ever do. Um, no, I think, um, I, I, I think at the time I thought the, the hype was still there and there was, there, mm. there was still a tailwind on the EV sector and I thought <clears throat> people like Elon Musk were still going to... Use their catalyst, and uh, I think we've explained this in last week's show as well. They were going to use their catalyst to c continue the hype. But what we found in 2022 is a, a macro change. Uh, everyone losing faith in Elon Musk because he did some dumb shit, and um, and the steam ran out on the on the catalyst. Uh, all these catalysts happened, by the way. The semi came out. The uh, the gigafactories came online. There was. Uh, Tesla has not failed in its uh, sales targets. It's come very slightly short, but it has not failed in keeping up that 27% a year growth. Uh, so well, the fundamentals are there. And I think my thesis on uh, mean, mean reversion is, is still coming true. It's, uh, but I did think this year, for this very uh, specific year, I thought it was going to do very well. Well, you'll find that's a running theme in any sort of commentary or predictions you made on that show, Paul, because I think you thought we were probably another year out or maybe two years out with, between a, a problem. So you, you are still bullish on the macro. What happened was macro basically killed all of your predictions in one fell yeah. swoop. So uh, let's move on to the next one. No, let's not, let's not spend too long. Uh, yeah, not as well. Yep, I take the same point on this for what it's worth. But Paul's other uh, prediction was Bitcoin was going to quote unquote shoot off in January. I didn't know quite what that <laughs> meant, but he did point out that this is one that we could check you know, pretty quickly. We didn't need to wait the whole year for that. But he subsequently mm. said it's either going to have a big shoot up by maybe 100% in mid-January or it's going to completely collapse. <laughs> um, now we begin to arrive because at the end of That's the year, Bitcoin is, is down 60%. But what happened in January is the question. Yeah. Well... It went down. Uh, yeah. It rallied again around March, <laughs> April, back to roughly where it was at its start of year levels. But um, I'm struggling to find much that's positive on that one, other than See, uh, the either or is correct because it did yeah. indeed pretty much completely collapse. <clears throat> See last week's um, See last week's podcast for for my. Uh, for all our opinions on on Bitcoin at the moment, but yeah, completely wrong. I was following I was following the trading scheme at that time, and uh, no, absolutely not. Full of shit. All the trading, trading is dumb. Uh, keep to your fundamentals and keep to your cash flow models, please. 
Again, this is another one though that they've just the the macro snookered one, really, isn't it? This this Bitcoin run up was ba- basically excess <coughs> cash being thrown into, uh, you know, into crypto because crypto was seeing big returns at the time, and and that all finished rather rather quickly uh, towards the sort of mid to end of January. I think I it went ten percent down and then sixty one percent down. So unfortunate. I wanted to mention that actually I've been affected by macro as well because I am not going to hit my ISA target this year. I've, I've looked at it and I'm nine grand short at the moment and I'm only going to be able to find five to go in. That other five has actually now been put in my NatWest account, which is paying a 5% interest rate on the year. And I figured that's a pretty good... Uh, I had to build up my emergency fund as well. That's uh, So that is now going to be part of my emergency fund. But I have decided to make that move. I've, I've not managed to put in my... Uh, full 20,000 in the year this year because I've diverted some to high interest rate savings account uh, for my emergency fund. So um, very interesting that the macro has made a move on me almost unconsciously. So I've got I've got Steve's uh, predictions from uh, last year and we'll start yeah. off with the with the first one he made um, and it was that the S&P returns were to be uh, 11%. He said um, that he he, he expected they'd not be the worst hit, and uh, unfortunately, Steve made a prediction on interest rates uh, during that, and they went a lot higher than he expected, essentially. I think he was expecting a, a pretty much half the range of what we're going to end the year on. Paul, unfortunately, chimed in and said, uh, <laughs> there's no bubble, <laughs> and it won't. Uh, I agree, I agree, the bubble I agree. Won't pop. A word pop for two to three years, there's going to be uh, a further extension of prices. <laughs> so the bubble did pop. Uh, I think the S&P, I'll just have a quick look at it now, is down, uh, as we speak, 20.14%. So, so 20% yeah. down. So 31% uh, percent, uh, percent miss on that one, Steve. I didn't think this was the worst prediction at the time. Um, no. Uh, what do you think? No, I was going with the idea that the Fed were talking about a raise to about 1% of interest rates. And I thought, okay, interest rates are what's going to drag stock prices, but I don't think 1% is going to do very much. In fact, what we've had is 6%. And if I, if you'd said it, the rates are going to go to 6%, I would probably have not taken that uh, prediction. But such is the nature of predictions and so on. So that was, as you rightly point out, where I went wrong on that. I was paying a lot of attention to forecasting rates for 1% by the end of the year, not 6%. I think really your two predictions were were hampered by the war. I think the war was a disruption in the middle of where we thought inflation was starting to slow, heading towards maybe starting to slow, and then the war just kicked it on a little bit more um, because it raised a lot of commodity prices, especially in in Europe and um, uh, things like oil and gas and what have you. So that was what uh, that's my partial credit to you, Steve, because mm. one of your other predictions was that US CPI would be below three percent at the end of twenty twenty two. We thought, uh, well, I think me and you shared this thought though that, that this was a su- supply side inflation problem and that this would remedy itself and um unfortunately that didn't happen thoughts there's a money yes, supply it was, problem it's very it was a money supply problem it's very kind of you to suggest this has anything to do with the war which to be honest i would give myself a pass for not predicting the war on that uh what i'm less likely to give myself a pass for is not understanding that inflation wasn't just about um i was expecting supply shocks basically from shipping uh, unwinding providing parts and cars and stuff were gonna appear like madness causing supply gluts and that never happened what happened was there's too much money knocking around uh, that's why i was i mean not even close on this too much demand hmm. 
so your last one, Steve, was that you thought Blackboard uh, would be acquired. And this was my fault because I said you had to pick a stock that would be acquired. Um, I, you know, they weren't acquired, but they did sack the vast majority of their management team. It looks like they've had a whole new C-suite put in. So uh, is that potentially being brought in to get them ready for acquisition? Yeah, you began with, I thought these guys were going to get acquired. I didn't think these guys were going to get acquired. You said I had to find someone to get acquired, and I picked these, because I thought they'd most likely have all the people I don't think are getting acquired. I did say, I think, on the show, I wasn't having Peloton or Pinterest or something I'd already heard talk of. I'd have been wrong with those as well. So, yeah, I'm wrong on Blackboard, uh, for what it's worth. But uh, Clear Lake Capital in October are uh, an investment firm who have an 18% stake in Blackboard, and they switched themselves to activist from passive before, and they have a history of having done something similar. Blackboard, by the way, is an educational or social good software firm. They've had a, they pulled a similar trick with Cornerstone On Demand, which they subsequently took private by taking a stake, then becoming activist, then buying the thing outright. So I wonder whether I might just have been early on that. And look, early is wrong. Paul's share price call is uh, on Tesla is wrong because it's early. It will get to 1600 split adjusted, but you don't get the points if you're right in three years' time. I, I kind of... Uh, Blackboard, by the way, are defending their uh, thing with the poison pill approach, so they may well not get taken over. But... Uh, I was closer than I thought on this, uh, for what it's worth. I mean, I was going for that because I was trying to work out pretty much from scratch and with nearly nothing to go on. But there's this may happen this year or next, for what it's worth. Um, it's not one of my predictions for this year because I didn't have to think of a takeover target. So uh, I didn't. Lovely stuff. So, Steve D, I've got your predictions. Um it's, it's, are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you know them. Uh, so uh, you first predicted that inflation was going to return to normal by the end of 2022. Obviously, uh, what is, uh, I mean, we can, we can choose UK or, or uh, US inflation. It's still above 8, 8%, is it? Or is it 7% right now in the US? Um, How do you feel about that one? Well, I feel particularly aggrieved uh, because I made a very <laughs> terrible uh, very terrible prediction. I actually thought that because shipping rates were already coming down, I thought that commodity prices were already coming down, that these were going to be the vast majority of the of the problems. But in fact, inflation got considerably worse after we uh, we um, predicted this, which obviously doesn't help when, you, when you're thinking about things at the beginning of the year and you think we're at the top now, so we're going to start to see them coming down. And then yeah. they get much higher. You, you know, you you know, you've always got a problem when you're predicting, you know, rates to to, to come down a little bit. So, uh, I think that was a, a particularly um, bad call. Although I have written on my piece of paper for some reason partial credits. I wonder how I'm going to get to that kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of get to that partial credit. But I suppose inflation is coming down as we speak uh, right now. Uh, so, you, so you maybe I was wrong. just maybe I was just eleven or ten months too early. Yeah, sort of like uh, right outcome, wrong process, right? I was, I was wondering if it was it, it was it the specific thing. <laughs> was it, was it, was it? Um, we, we, was it in the places that you thought it would be? Uh, as in, so you, you're very hot on the lumber prices and things like that because of the industry you work in. But obviously, it was housing and fuel and things that that actually went up. Right? Well, that was the thing. I was going to say, Paul, you did actually remark that you'd just been on the Lennar call and they were very confident of a successful year. Yes. Obviously, that, didn't, that, that only happened for them for the first half of the year, by which point interest rates were, were a massive problem. So, um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, the, look, inflation, the commodities came down in the places I expected them to come down. It was just that all of the other areas I didn't expect to stick around stuck around. So mm. um, there's not really a lot you can you can say about that. When I thought the driving factor was the shipping problems, they were driving a lot of cost inflation on a lot of goods. I thought the problems were commodities. Um, once they came down, that that I thought that would ease the whole uh, the whole package. Uh, unfortunately, that just didn't happen. Okay, it gets a bit worse. So, um, Ark was set to outperform in 2022, were they, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, look, at, at the beginning, I thought this Ark portfolio was a lot better than it is today. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself a little bit of a, uh, somewhat of a freebie yeah, I'll give in you that. that the quality of this portfolio has dipped massively over the year. And at the beginning, we didn't. If you're factoring in the fact that we thought inflation was going to be, or I thought, sorry, that inflation was going to be transitory, then, you know, interest rates wouldn't get so high and all of the stuff in Kathy Wood's portfolio, you know, wouldn't have as many of the problems as they actually experienced during the year, which ended up being uh, quite, quite massive problems. But twofold problems with ARC is that the companies they've got are susceptible to interest rates going up that, that makes them a less propelling uh, proposition. The other thing is that she's made these portfolios, or I feel she's made these portfolios considerably worse. So, you know, it's a two-pronged wrong on that one, if you, if you like. That, I thought, was your kind of issue, Steve, for what it's worth. I mean, you were looking at the bits of what you considered to be quality in there and thinking, look, that will stabilise this portfolio and it, it will turn around and do OK. Unfortunately, the Cathy Wood way is to double down into your high-conviction holdings, which are not the ones that you like. They're the ones that are... Well, strictly unprofitable, um, depending on how you measure profitable. So it actually ended up getting worse and worse and worse. Fair enough. Yeah, and finally then, and one I think uh, it's still on the cards, and I, I think it's still possible, um, Boohoo and ASOS, or Boohoo or ASOS, will be acquired by X company. Uh, that hasn't yeah. happened this year, and of course Boohoo and ASOS have both dropped, uh, must be over 60%, each at this time I'll, I'll quickly get those up in a minute um, I, I would guess yeah, off the top of my head it's nearing 90 percent they, they've they've rapidly rapidly yeah, depleted in value to the point where at the time i thought they were kind of pocket change to any kind of american company that wanted uk with some u.s distribution but now they really are pocket change to some um uk and U, u.s uh, companies that want you know want that kind of that kind of distribution but uh, the I would say partial credit maybe is due for this one because mm. uh, Sports Direct have recently taken up quite a, a sizable chunk of ASOS. I think they've bought about 5% of it, which is normally a sign that someone's about to go bust because Mike Ashley only seems to buy companies that go bust. He's sort of like, it's kind of like being stuck on his watch list. Um, I don't actually mm. think ASOS or Boohoo are in any immediate issue, you know, in any immediate issues. I don't think they're going to go bust overnight Doesn't or anything like, like that. But um, I think this is just another one of those where perhaps we're a little bit early and this, this could become a Fraser's Group product next year. According to Google, uh, Boohoo is down 70% this year and uh, ASOS is down 77% year to date. So it's not as bad as you thought, but they are they are pretty big. I mean, I, I mean, some of the bigger stocks, Tesla has lost more in value, but obviously less in, in percentage share price. Um, uh, by by a fraction you know uh but 
you know, the, the, these uh, ASOS and Boohoo were definitely two companies which looked very good in the retail space in 2021. That's why their prices uh, shot up quite considerably, arguably. But arguably, they still remain cheap at that time because I, I agreed with you. I, I felt exactly the same thing. And I reckon we're early. I reckon you're early on this one. I reckon something's happening. And uh, uh, it, it might be that they're just... It's possible that these high-ish quality companies that have have lost all this value recently are just part of a larger group of companies that have lost a lot of value as well. It's same, similar thing to what Steve W was talking about earlier. There's lots of shiny things on the market right now, and uh, it's it would take a lot to ignore Amazon and Google and things like that, and and end up acquiring. Um, something quite small. I mean, obviously, if you're Sports Direct, that's what you're looking for to get your acquisition. But still, it, I, I think there's a lot of shiny stuff out there that maybe these companies think are a lot cheaper. Well, it's more than that as well, though, isn't it? It's not been a huge year for M&A either. As I've not seen an awful lot of deals going through. I've not seen... I mean, this is the time when you want your companies to be starting to look at um, looking at, at buying you know, other companies to tack on and, and make their product even better. But... The companies we were thinking about at the time were the companies like Twilio could go to be a part of Salesforce because that makes a, a, a you know, makes a, an obvious kind of choice. Now, that would have been a really bad bit of M&A to do in January because you'd have paid 20-odd billion for Twilio, but today you're paying about nine. So it, it makes sense that these companies have just held off and said, Look, let's let these valuations fall a little bit, and then maybe 2023 will be the year of M&A. I wish I'd have thought of this an hour ago when I was writing up the M&A thing. Uh, that's probably what I would have said. It'd be a bigger year for M&A, uh, maybe a bigger year for IPOs, but there's been none of that this year. It's been a very, very quiet market. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that in a falling market, people tend to think, well, let's just hold steady on the M&A. We might mm. get this cheaper next month, next year. When things are ripping higher, it's the case if you buy it now for this or you buy it for one and a half times this in three months' time. Uh, it's I bad, wonder when that slows it? things down. It's the wrong way round, right? But I wonder when yeah. that's what you think. It's it's incredible to see all the all the mergers, all the spacs, all the acquisitions that happened in 2020 and 2021 when everyone thought stuff was going somewhere. And even now, the people at the top of these companies who we trust with our money are paralysed by what's happening in the macroeconomic market. It tells you something, is isn't it? The human behaviour and and that that behavioural finance, that behavioural investing is, is out there and it affects everyone, even the people we think are immune to that. I mean, what has been nuts though is that the, the little M&A that has happened has happened at massive premiums. So I've been oh, looking incredible, at few, yeah. As you know, I reported on Tom Bravo, but they've just bought uh, another company whose name escapes me at the moment, but they bought it at a 70-odd percent premium, which which seems like a lot. I mean, like the, some of the stuff in my capital incinerators, if you told me you were giving me a 15 or 20% premium, I'd have snapped your hand off, sir. Why are they choosing yeah, but... to add such a massive amount to these, the, these share prices to get them through? I wonder, like... Because uh, what I've seen is a lot of the sort of like companies that you you were hoping the CEO, the founders, had the sort of stomach for this kind of activity have tended to not have the stomach, and they've just kind of sold the company off to, 
you know, the 20% premium or 30% premium, but then Tom Bravo just coming along and going like 78% premiums and 58% premiums. And it all seems like they, they were almost like stuck in 2021's acquiring where you were acquiring at, yeah. you know, far too high a price where, you know, Teladoc was acquiring Livongo for 18 billion or whatever. And now the combined company's only worth like six or five or four or whatever it is at the moment. It's, it feels like it's a little bit still, I, I do wonder if the premiums are a little bit high. I uh, I mean, I hate to point out the obvious ones, but uh, Microsoft buying Activision, that's still ridiculously high for, I mean, it's, it's quite a good value stock at the price mm. it was, but um, it's still quite a lot higher than it should be right now if they just waited a couple of months. Uh, I mean, Elon Musk buying Twitter is another very obvious, stupid um, buy. It's pro- possibly worth only... Uh, 20 billion now rather than the 54 was it 54 45 billion that he actually bought it for so it's probably worth less than 20 billion now and uh, adobe bought uh you'll remind me of the company that they bought yeah yeah figma figma for a ridiculous amount of money as well and uh, so these are the obvious ones and and i think they prove your point i think they prove that uh m&a is is been, still done by the big boys but really poorly there's hardly any roi on some of these mm. or, or positive roi on these uh, investments right now uh and for microsoft it could go really wrong but <clears throat> what we'll do is we'll move on to our predictions for 2023 if anyone can trust our predictions uh, 2023 after that by the way we should really mention that these are only uh, I, I think um that might be one of our uh weaknesses here is we don't want to take the obvious kind of predictions that, that that make it very easy which makes it very hard to come up with interesting um uh predictions which is which might be why some of some of our i'm, I'm gonna try and defend it somehow but that might be why some of our predictions went so horribly wrong last year because you you do try and find some some really outlandish ones and i feel i felt like i was a bit pressured to do that so um you need to take that into into account, and you need to take it into account that these are just us predicting for fun. I don't think any of us acted uh, on our uh, predictions last year. Nope. No, exactly. So we still follow the basic investment investing rules that we can't predict macro. We can't predict what the future holds, and and we still try and invest with as uh, risk adjusted as possible. If that's the correct term, it isn't the correct term, but it's close. Um, uh, so I think everyone just needs to take that account and it's, it is certainly not advice and uh, it's just a bit of fun that we do every year. So who wants to go first with one of their predictions? I'll go first with mine because um, uh, I'm sticking on a theme from uh, my my last year's predictions, which were, were horribly wrong. Um, core inflation will be at the, the target, which will essentially be between two and three by the end of 2023. Now, I think this one is a fairly safe prediction in my head, which <laughs> kind of makes me think uh, it's going to go horrendously wrong. Uh, but I posted on the Discord the other day, because uh, uh, midweek the stocks fell about 4.5%, and there was quite a lot of fear in the market. And I just pointed out to people, look, there's a lot of good still out there. I mean, you're getting swamped by the bad news. But here's a list of things that I still think are pretty good about the market. So I'll, I'll list them to you. Uh, we still have a strong labor market in the US. US consumers are still spending because we've just had the biggest ever Black Friday. Um, we're closer to a Fed pivot than we were last month. There's no actual signs of a recession yet in the US economy. 
supply chains have eased. Shipping costs have come down a lot. Oil has come down a lot. The rest of the commodity market is coming down and already has come down a lot. China has changed its COVID policy and it's now not locking down. We're closer than we've ever been to the end of the war and inflation is actually coming down. So I think combining my previous prediction with this, this is where I'm going to get like a bit, a bit weird on you. I think the US could achieve this without a huge recession. And that's Ooh. my first prediction. That's a bold one. That end. I, 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 I was with it. you on the stuff it. of it. Maybe it gets to two percent. Yeah, I think I I love it. I think uh, the first question I was wow. going to ask you was: so you don't think there's going to be a recession next year, even though uh, people are a lot smarter than you don't think uh, think there will be. I think uh, we're being talked into a I'm, recession. I'm saying. I'm saying. One, Stanley Druckmann. Yeah, I just don't think. I just don't think. From what I see when I look at the the the, the I just don't see this huge. I actually think we're going to get potentially this soft landing that we don't think is is possible. I've, I've been looking at the stats and figures for. Well, I looked at them for about three hours this afternoon. So I did what any good economist would do and did no work. And uh, I actually think hmm. um, I had to be bold and I had to think. Is it too obvious that we're going to hit this massive recession when there's still all of these good points? The key point for me, the, mm. the key problem is going to be, I don't care about the tech layoffs. And I mean, and the nicest were possible from an economic Employment. standpoint, I don't care if tech people are losing a job, but if industry starts kicking people yeah. out, then I know I'm wrong. I know we're going to be in serious yeah. trouble. That's my, that's yeah. my inflection point where I could tell you maybe in February, if this happens, I'm going to be like, I'm wrong on this. But if industry is, keeps being reluctant to let people leave their jobs and industry maybe hires some of those tech people in, I think that's going to be mm -hmm. terrible for Endava, but that's a stock I own um, <laughs> aside from that. But if industry keeps their job and tech people lose their job, I don't think that's too bad for the economy. I think that the US could come out of this smelling of roses. I don't think you're right. I think you're going to be too early. I think you are going to be too early. I think it's going to be around 4% inflation next Starting year. My life. I, I think you're going to, <laughs> uh, I think you're going to arrive too early, but I do think, uh, I do like what you're talking about. I love the, the employment data that's coming out is, is really telling the tech layoffs and everything like that is because that's where the inflation is. Loads of people are getting, have been getting paid ridiculously well in the tech sector. And now it's time to trim the fat in the tech center. And they're all going to, uh, they're all going to move around. Basically there is, there is, uh, the theory out there that they are all just swapping and sharing information out there. Uh, so that's one of the theories that's going on. But like you said, uh, normal industry wages are going up. Um, certain industries are taking on uh the one that comes off the top of my head right now is bae systems which uh is hiring another three and a half thousand people uh because of all the u.s contracts they're getting on the ships and the uh, the planes so uh like big hard old industry tyson foods is also hiring as well uh hard industry like that is still hiring and still raising uh raising wages which is uh, the biggest sign that there's no recession in place right now because the majority of people are uh, still in a job hmm interesting <laughs> i'll get to my first prediction then because here's a nice thing about what i've predicted here and we didn't really talk about these beforehand but 
This time I'm the opposite way round to Steve, I think, which is good because it means that one of us is probably going to be right along the way. Uh, so I'm with him on the inflation thing. I think inflation will be back below three or so percent by the end of the year, so I'll be back in normal ranges and levels. That's quick. I don't think that's coming without a recession. I think there is going to be a recession that brings this on. So I think that the uh, this isn't exactly my prediction. I'll tell you the prediction at the end. I think that the Fed has taken such a battering over this transitory thing uh, that it now can't let up on its drive to get inflation under control. I think rates are going to have to go where they're going to go, and I think the Fed will take them there. So I think there will be a recession, and I think that will be... I don't know about unavoidable. I don't think the Fed will have the skills or the concentration to avoid it. Which means that uh, maybe um, ability in terms of it's a very fine line to walk. And I think they're very concerned they would rather fall on one side than the other. So they might end up just tipping themselves over there anyway. So my prediction is I've got two stocks in the S&P 500 that I think are going to outperform as a result on that index. And those two are McDonald's and Costco. Uh, and I could have picked really obvious, boring, defensive things like a bunch of smoking stocks, but I didn't choose those. Uh, so McDonald's is interesting because it's strictly a cyclical uh, and you don't want those in a recession. Usually Costco is interesting because it has a very high PE and you don't usually want those either when growth is slowing. So why have I shot gone for those two? I think what will matter in a recession is price to consumer. And I think both McDonald's and Costco have low prices to consumer and more than that structural things that will allow them to hold their price to consumer uh, low in the process so in the case of McDonald's so people often call them a kind of REIT they're not a REIT that's not what a REIT is but one thing they do uh, generally do is own their franchises and charge their franchises rent which means they have an income stream that doesn't come from selling food which means they can drive the price of the food down and keep that fairly low in a way that if you don't charge your franchisee rent uh, but you just kind of license them branding and so on you need to make money off of revenue and so on by taking a cut of that Costco of course charges people to shop there so regardless of what margins they do or don't make from the stuff they sell, they're getting money coming in that allows them to keep down prices. So I've gone for the two things that most obviously to me have a structural business model competitive advantage in terms of keeping prices to consumers down. I think that will tell over the course of the coming year. Yeah, I like both of those. I think they're both... Um pretty fine picks to be honest i think uh costco is the one that worries me the most because it's it's an expensive stock i think it's hard to get around that it's an expensive stock with not not it doesn't have the margins to support a premium like that it's only when you delve into the business a little bit more and you realize how how good of a business it is and how it's still even to this day expanding i mean we don't have a lot of costcos in the uk so even before you think about you know you know even just the UK, we don't, we, you know, we just don't have the stores. So there, there are plenty, plenty of places uh, a Costco can go. It's just whether it's cost effective for them to to actually build it in the UK at the moment. Whether they're going to have that consumer base. So yeah, I think Costco is probably a good tip for something that is going to let's let's not lie, but just continue to be a great stock. Uh, McDonald's is a little bit trickier for me. Um, I have realised uh, today I've seen a couple of their automated restaurants that they've released. So these are, uh, I, did, I did see a staff member in it though, which kind of made me laugh. There was like, it's fully automated. And there was a staff member in the back. It's like, not fully. Um, but yeah, it, it did it, it did interest me that that's a route that they're going to go down. And I think that's an interesting technology. I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Um, whether it outperform or not, I don't know. It's your guess. Um, I I don't really have much to add on that one because I think that's a, they're really good ideas. I agree with the Costco uh, overvaluation. It's one of the reasons why I cannot 
get my head around it. It's, it. it is just naturally expensive. However, I have got a fun bit of information. Uh, you don't actually have to pay Costco to go shop there. I've found a way, I've found a way around it. Um, what you do is you find someone who does pay <laughs> to, to go, uh, to go to Costco and get them to buy you a 20 pound gift card. That way you can go into Costco forever and, uh, Use that £20 gift card. They let you in with the gift card and then you just pay with cash. Uh, so that is one of the ways to get around the whole subscription fee for Costco. Cost, like okay. the Martin Lewis, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's just one thing that I figured out uh, earlier this year when someone was trying to help me buy um, Tattooed Chef stuff. Do you remember that time when I bought Tattooed Chef? I bet you don't. Um, uh, and it was actually pretty yep. good, uh, but it was just uh <laughs> yeah basically um so i've got written down here and i'm not entirely sure, well i am a little bit sure why uh disney free cash flow returns higher than expected and therefore begins to repay its dividend i think this is a stupid call and i think now i'm looking down the list of my predictions i think these are more hopeful than they are uh, uh, than they are with any actual uh, uh, backing, but I think that the return of Bob, Bob Iger, he's he's going to make some cuts back in certain areas of markets. Even though I think some of the latest films aren't doing as well as they should do, uh, but I think uh, parks are going to completely reopen soon. That is going to push free cash flow up, and by at least. December 2023. I, I reckon that's more likely. December 2023, the dividend returns to Disney and that gets shareholders back on board. Oh, that's bold, that. Thoughts? I think, again, <laughs> I think you may be a little bit early to that. I think 2023 is not going to be the year. I think 2023 is the year that Disney sets itself up to potentially start paying its dividend at a later period. So I think it's going to go through a pretty decent-sized restructuring. Um Iger is doing all of the things Chapek is doing, but without like annoying everybody while they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, Iger's going to go through the restructuring that Chapek was was going to do. He's going to do the things at the park that Chapek was already setting out to do. He's going to keep pushing content onto Disney Plus in the way that um, that that Chapek was going to do. But I think he's going to do that in a little bit of a more moderated way. I don't think the the dividend returns this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if it returns in the next sort of two to three years. I think. Disney is now at a sort of scale where they can handle the amount of that they want to spend on Disney Plus and and I think they've got that kind of the park side of the business is pretty much all sussed out so I I think it the dividend is going to come back eventually but I wouldn't expect it next year. You don't want you definitely want the dividend Paul you don't want like a, a nice sort of share buyback type thing. I know what you I knew I see this is where the questions come up don't they and and I agree reinvestment is in the uh in uh film the film industry right now is is pretty desperate to keep up with uh netflix so yes there are very good reasons not to return the dividend but i believe that like you said i think bob i biger i'm gonna call him biger from now on uh is returning and doing everything that chapek says with a little bit more finesse and a little bit more likable uh, stuff and I think that is going to drive a big thing at the end of the year and cause him to pay back a one percent dividend by uh, by the end of the year. 
you know, I'd be more keen, just thinking out loud, I'd probably be more keen if that they took my dividend and slammed it on that debt pile at the moment. I'd kind of <laughs> want to see them just bring that down a little bit. It's quite a, yeah, it's quite a chunky do. old pile It's coming of debt. down. Yeah, that's a chunky old pile of debt, though. I'd like to see that come down a little bit quicker before I get a dividend. Because I think naturally paying off some of the debt a little bit early does free up cash flow in the future, doesn't it? And that's kind of that's where I'm thinking with Disney at the moment. It depends how you see the business itself, isn't it? Do you see it as this, this agile growth company anymore? Or do you see it as, as a bit more of a mature uh, company that's trying to spread out? And that that is the question for me. I, I think that the investors within Disney want the dividend returned. I think there will be pressure uh, on that coming back. Fair enough. All right, who's got the next one? Okay, my second one is probably one uh, that recent buyers of houses is not going to like, but I predict that property prices in the UK will fall by 8 to 10% oh, at the end of the year. So that was on my list. Why, so... <laughs> Uh, so I've gone through all. Well, we can agree. We can agree on mm. our different theses. Mm. Theses. Um, so look, all of the UK house builders. I've read through all the reports this afternoon. They've all reported sales cycles pretty much doubling. Um, some of them have gone ahead and started talking about inevitable dividend cuts. Some of them have already cut dividends. And so I think there's threefold problems here. Interest rates are not going to be accommodative. Help to buy is finished and the cost of living is soaring both in terms of utility bills and food. So I don't think there's going to be oversupply though. So I think it's going to temper the fall a little bit. I think house builders of all sizes are not building as much uh, as they were going to. I think the BOE is going to have uh, rates risen to such a degree that the UK, which is already a fragile economy, is going to fall into a recession. And I think this is going to lead to a pretty large bump in unemployment, which is going to further slow the market down. So my additional gamble is that this will actually be what causes the Conservative Party to collapse. And I think we will have a general election called for 2024 by the end of 2023. I like Ooh, to add this uh, little sparkle okay. at the end yeah, of the which makes I was it even say, harder to get right. <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, so your prediction is the 8% fall in housing or the collapse of the Conservative Party? Cause I, think I think the it, 8 to 10% <laughs> fall is going to be the final straw that's dissolved yeah. this current Conservative uh, Party. I, but my, my mm. bet is, my, my thing that I want credit on is the fall of property prices. Yeah, I had um, I had this on my list myself. I had 8% in my head as well. Uh, and I thought this was one of the easier ones to do because I, I went down to my local uh, ha estate agent earlier and there are a lot of houses on the market right now for particularly less than they were uh, a couple of months ago in, if, mm. if i'm honest and i'm a bit annoyed at this one this is the less hopeful one for me because i i've just paid off quite a bit of my house at a premium so uh i i have full well i have a lot of equity in my house now but i do think that that's um that that value of the house is, is going to come down yeah, I I think I think ten percent is is a lot, uh, but I think eight percent is very very reasonable. Good. So we're working towards some at least nebulous form of disagreement here because I have written down house prices <laughs> down ten percent uh, at some point ah. this year as one of mine. I have a slightly different view to uh, certainly Steve on this situation. 
I'm concerned. You know, when we think about those companies that have loads of debt on their balance sheets and interest rates going up means that they're going to have to pay more on that debt and it's not clear they can afford to service it and that's going to cut right across their profitability and stuff. I think that's going to happen with humans. Basically, interest rates are going up. People's mortgages are going to come off their fixed things gradually, gradually. And if they were at a level where they took out their mortgages when rates were nearly zero or in real terms negative and they were leveraged as far as they could manage on this it's going to be a lot lot harder with rates going up and i think that might catch some people by surprise because they were expecting to just refinance at two percent or something like that again and they ain't mm-hmm. going to be able to refinance at two percent and i think that's going to be a problem so i'm expecting a bit more housing inventory to come onto the market in ways that i don't particularly view as as positive but um, oh, I just don't like the number of people that I think are on debt they can barely afford uh, in this particular property market and are in trouble with a rate rise move just back to what would be a historic average, let alone anything particularly high at the moment. Agreed. I don't think people are prepared for this. Anecdotally, do you have any friends that you feel like are in a bit of a situation where they've not prepared for a situation like this? I don't have any friends, so I'll pass to Steve. <laughs> I know someone who I think is in, probably in trouble on this, yeah, basically. I mm. mean, th- these are just kind of ordinary people, right, who who aren't particularly listening to finance podcasts, let alone making them. And uh, mm-hmm. four years ago, that would have been me, if you just kind of wander into your um, bank or mortgage advisor or whatever and say, look, what? how much can I get lent for this thing? And they'll say this, and it'll be this much for three years, and you think, can I manage that? Yeah, I can manage that. Where will interest rates be in three years' time? Oh, who knows, right? Uh, because that's actually quite hard to call where interest rates will be in mm. two or five years' time or something. Um, and then, I mean, you need to, if you, a quick look at a chart of where interest rates have been historically, would have told you that two years ago they were extremely low and they were unlikely mm. to be that low for any prolonged period of time, despite some people saying that, oh, yes, it's a new paradigm and so on because interest rates that low is always going to bring about inflation but look i think there are people who that i know that just don't have that bunch of thoughts and i Mm. want to say partly that they should because it's their mortgage they should know what they're getting into here i also want to say they've been failed quite badly by a system that doesn't really present this stuff to them uh the education system that they've been through and that i've been through uh, that never talked about mortgages and interest rates and so on and so forth at least as far as i can remember anyway yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? I think a lot of people have not been taught this. They've been they've only really know what they've experienced and what they've experienced is the fact that they can get a mortgage even with very little deposit on a house, um, you know, for maybe one or two or three percent and you know, that house price goes up. Now the opposite is true in that rates are now at six and seven and eight percent and house prices could be potentially going down on negative negative equity is a real problem especially if it comes to remortgaging the people who put five percent down on a house and then you know house prices fall 10 even if they fall 20 percent you know next time when it comes down to remortgage you're in a lot of trouble so um i think it's a problem and i think it's a problem that's going to it may not unwind itself next year. I think it'll unwind itself next year. I think we could be potentially additives. I think it might be lagging a little bit, but I think by the end of the year, I think house prices could be in serious trouble. I want to give you a bit of a left field view of this. Not that I ever give straight straight views of this, but uh, I've noticed people in in my not in my social group as such, but people maybe maybe that I experience in the day. Uh, during covid getting divorced and I actually did a quick look at the divorce rates for the uk uh at 
in 2018, it was 7.6 divorces per thousand. And in 2021, that's dramatically risen to 9.4 divorces per thousand. Um, this means a lot of people during the pandemic got bored of each other. That's number one. And, but also those people have also rushed into, had to rush into high interest, um, housing for themselves and obviously that causes a huge strain on finances and i think there's something in there there's going to be a lot of people out there with different grades of this not specifically divorces but they've made certain decisions during the pandemic which will be negatively uh, beneficial to them uh, in 2021 onwards so i believe that there are a lot of compounding forces that are going to come together to drive, ultimately drive house, house prices down. Number one, because of high interest rates, no one wants to buy. And number two, like you say, I think there's going to be a bit of higher uh, inventory because people are not going to be able to afford their mortgage. Yeah. And, and they may take to personal finance um, information and decide that they need to downsize because they bought a four bed house when they can't afford it. In a in a word, guys, and just just because I know we're acutely aware of the time, um, yeah. in COVID we got our wages uh, paid for us uh, in a massive recession caused by, uh, essentially caused by central banks. Is there a chance that the government pays you mortgage? No, no, not a chance. It's it's going to be downsize or downgrade. I think is going to be the message, particularly if it's conservative led okay. government. I I do think so. <laughs> uh, so my um, third prediction uh, is that Tesla will fall under $100 and finish the year in the red. Um, so look, I thought it'd be kind of fun to be really, really specific. Um, I think Tesla has a few issues. We spoke about them last week, and I don't think they're all Elon related, although some of them are. So I just want to list my bare case for it. So Elon has entered the political debate. It's a terrible idea when you're trying to sell something to both sides of a political spectrum. He's completely alienated himself uh, from sort of mid to hard political lefties who now wouldn't be seen dead in a Tesla. And remember, it's the well-earning lefties that believe EVs are the solution to climate change. And they're pretty much Tesla's core market. Uh, the rest of the left is currently getting sacked, it would appear. Uh, another large part of Tesla's target market in the US are developers in Silicon Valley, and they're losing their jobs at record speed, and not just from Twitter. Um, so look, another year's passed. Tesla is still a car company, 95% car revenue, 5% loss making, all other things. Tesla deserves credit for what they've built as a car manufacturer. I think we spoke about this quite a bit last week. They've broken into the sector. They've pr actually produced and delivered a car, which is far better than anybody else does. There are a lot of things they don't deserve credit for. The full self-drive, it's got political eyeballs, it's in trouble. The robot thing, it's just a joke. Uh, 500,000 Teslas built in China have been recalled just this month due to issues with their rear lights and seat belts. Uh, they're still experiencing issues with quality, although, look, this isn't an exclusive problem. Uh, a lot of Chinese manufacturers are now shipping to Europe. This is logistic hell for Tesla because they're using the same row, row, roll on, roll off shipping capabilities that Tesla does. Uh, this is going to tame Tesla's European expansion while Ch the Chinese cars enter the same sector so you're going to see your neos and what have you they they're full-on european push in 2023 so we can already see the effects of this at times last year tesla had about an eight to 12 month uh, plus delivery lead time and it's now down to days the myth that tesla had unlimited demand and its only constraint was production has been exposed for what it was 
a myth. Uh, car companies don't shave off $7,500 off their cars when demand is strong. Uh, and this is not good news when you have further factories coming online. So lastly, outside the US, I think we're heading to recession. Um, this is never a good time to be selling luxury cars. Uh, so it's at 40 times earnings. I don't know if the growth continues to be as explosive. I'd expect that multiple to contract further. Car companies don't trade at pre premiums to the S&P. They usually trade under 10. So even at 15, this would be a 50% sector premium. I don't expect it to go that low for, for what it's worth. Um, the saving grace might be this Democrat proposed EV credit, which despite them now arguing over the upper limit, does look like it will include Tesla's cheaper models because it's going to be absolutely disastrous to Tesla if it doesn't. It's a pretty good thesis, and I can't disagree with the business model that you're going with. No, I worry about treating Tesla as the kind of thing that behaves in ways that it ought to, share price-wise, which is why it isn't one of my predictions, to be honest. I, I can tell you lots of good reasons why it never ought to have been at that place in the first place, but I take your thought there. There's a good kind of catalyst for this sort of thing. I heard that from Scott Galloway, this idea of uh, Elon annoying all the lefties is going to cost him customers and so on, and I think he said he'd sold his Tesla because he didn't like Elon Musk, and I sort of thought that reflected quite poorly on him, to be honest. I mean, are you really going to sell agree. what you think is a better car because you don't like the CEO? Um, I, I thought that was quite weak, but Actually, um, it's not for me to moralise about what he should or shouldn't do. Uh, this is a market-predicting show, not a market-moralising show, so um, my surprise for this counts for nothing. Uh, let's let's just talk about one of my predictions then, my third prediction, because I think I disagree with you uh, completely. And this is based on share price alone, because I agree that the business case for Tesla next year does appear right now to be uh, in jeopardy, or at least it, it's going to contribute significantly to slowing growth. I think they will still grow. I just don't think they're going to get the same 30% that the Tesla balls are predicting unless they come out with one of the big things, you know, like their solar panels work, which they don't, or the battery uh, uh, things work, which they barely do. And it's, it, you know, one of those, if one of those things comes out, it's going to be very, very important. Uh, but I think that next year, the worst performers of this year are going to bounce back quite considerably. And I think that by the end of the year, uh, <laughs> this is, see, this is this is the contrarian thing. I've just got to, I come up with something contrarian and, and try to develop a thesis around it, I think. And I think that stocks like Amazon, Google, Tesla is included in that, will bounce back quite considerably and end up positive at the end of the year, even though there are still macro, macro pressures. I think there is mm. going to be a bounce back. And a lot of that is driven historically by uh, the fact that mo uh, in, historically you do get the green years after the red years, like quite considerable red years. Uh, a lot of me is screaming in my head right now, there is far more to go. Uh, for the market to drop in the early parts of the year. But I think some of the businesses here are too strong. I think that uh, Amazon's business here is too strong. I think Google is producing too much cash. I think that Facebook is uh, producing a lot of cash and investors may start to ignore the metaverse a little bit. Uh, and it, once they once they do start to ignore that, they will see a good underlying business in Instagram and, they, and there's going to be moves. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go out there on a limb. I think that the the bad performers of 
2022 are going to bounce back, and that includes your Netflix. Fang is back. Oh wow! Okay, so I hope you're wrong, Paul, on this because I'm picking something that's gone down a lot this year to keep going down some more next year. Uh, I've got Coinbase as the new Peloton, and I'll kind of say what I mean by that a little bit here. So. Coinbase, of course, is a crypto exchange and it's losing money uh, and Bitcoin is going down and, and crypto interest appears to be fading and the FTX thing is quite recent and I think there's trouble here. My prediction for what it's worth is Coinbase is not going to be a publicly traded stock by the end of the year. I wanted to say it was going to go bankrupt, but I'm not ruling out the idea of someone buying it because that feels like it would be... Um, that feels like it would be a tough way to lose uh, for me in this situation if it got so low that someone just decided they were going to pick it up. So I'm going with Coinbase um, in deep, deep trouble here. I think crypto in general is declining in popularity. And if that turns around, I don't think that's any help for Coinbase either. It becomes more mainstream and more widely traded at places like interactive brokers. I think now do crypto trading. I think I heard rumors that uh, Charles Schwab and brokers like that might be kind of into this sort of thing. They also do fee-free yeah. Fidelity so have got happens. Fidelity mm -hmm. have got big. Have just uh, they've gone ahead with it. Um, they are putting it in your four hundred one k. So uh, that's like a big thing. So if that becomes a mainstream thing, I don't know what people need Coinbase for, to be honest with you. And I think that it's much more likely they'll stick to a bigger broker in this kind of situation. And Coinbase is down eighty six percent this year. I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say it's gonna be lower. I'm gonna say it's not gonna be a publicly traded business by the end of the year either, because it won't be one at all, or because it will have been acquired by somebody. Are you thinking bank more than or Schwab, or are you thinking more like private equity just comes in and and hoovers it up? I don't really think anything to be honest. I just think that would be a sad Twitter. way for prediction to be wrong. Uh, yeah, that's possible. Twitter, uh, Twitter comes in. <laughs> Something like Twitter, basically. Put it this way, I'd be really cross if I thought this was going bankrupt and then Twitter jumped in and took it off me to make my prediction wrong, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, Elon Musk says he wants to make Twitter an, an all-things app and uh, he's going to start mm. with payments, apparently. That'd so be a thing. Go. I know. Uh, starting with Coinbase, I don't know. That'd be one disastrous buy after another, I think. That'd be a bit silly. What would he pay for it, though? Because it's nowhere near any of the meme kind of numbers. Mm, no, that's true. What, oh, yeah. No, he'd just, he just pay whatever he wants, wouldn't he? He'll just he'll, he'll make up 69, 69. 69, 420. <laughs> yeah, it'd be something silly like that. Um, right, this is episode 100. Uh, extra long episode 100 by the looks of things as well. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, in the comments below, I want to hear your um, predictions for 2023 because I think ours are, uh, someone's going to be right on ours, right? Because we've disagreed on a lot today, which has been pretty good. So someone's going to be right uh, in 2024. That would be very interesting to see where that comes. Uh, but I'd like to hear what you guys think of our predictions, and I'd like to hear some predictions of, of yours too. Thank you very much, guys, for listening, and I'm sure we'll see you next week. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.